Well, good morning, church. It's so good to be with you this morning, as always. I love being with my family, my church family. You know, God is doing great and mighty things in and through our church family. You heard a little bit about our children's ministry, and next Sunday, as Pastor Mike said, I'm really excited about uh, Glass City Kids, and we're going to feature, feature them next Sunday. And then uh, we're going to have special tours of our renovated facility. Speaking of which, our fellowship hall is going under, undergoing some pretty significant renovations of its own that we're hopefully going to have done by dinner church. And so God's just moving all around here. I don't know if, if you noticed like I did, but this morning was the first time that I really saw green grass where there used to be a dilapidated garage. And that was just so fun and exciting to see green. We've created all this green space. And special thanks to Jason and the trustees and others that have been helping with our physical campus. We're still in the middle of lots of changes, but I think we've got exciting things ahead. Well, this morning we're going we're gonna to continue our series. We've been going verse by verse through the book of Ephesians. And I'll just say this. Um, I love this country. I love being a citizen of this country, although I have a, a higher citizenship, a, a greater citizenship, and that is my citizenship in heaven. And I, I love this country, and, and there's so many great things about this country. I think we're maybe a little arrogant about our country at times because it's hard to say we're necessarily the best or the greatest. Uh, we are at some things and other things maybe not so much. But I want to say that one of the things that's troubling to me, I think I can safely say we are the most individualistic society in the history of the world. Would you agree with that? We're all about individualism. We're all about me and, and my rights. Uh, one of the craziest things I've ever heard is that truth now is defined by what I feel. Truth is what I feel. So your truth and my truth and it's what I feel and I'm not sure how that works at a traffic light. Actually around here I do know how that works at a traffic light, unfortunately. Uh, but I have to say that the individual nature of who we are makes for very good lonely and isolation, which is where so many people find themselves. I was listening to a podcast this week about the Amish, and it was a fascinating podcast. Uh, a lot of you have maybe been to Shoshana or spent time in other Amish communities. And the Amish people, they have three, three hi hierarchy, if you will. And the first and most important thing in Amish culture is the church. And the second most important is the family. And the third most important is the individual. I found that fascinating because we reverse that. We're all about the individual. And, and maybe if we, if we get along with our family, we'll spend some time with them. And then if we feel really spiritual, we'll maybe hang out at the church once or once a month or Christmas and Easter or something like that. It's just completely reversed. Now, I bring this up, this idea of individualism, because today we're going to talk about one of the most offensive words in our culture. I call it the S word today. It's not that S word. 
But this identity, this individualism, well, let's go back. We've been going through this book of Ephesians. If you have your Bibles, turn to Ephesians chapter 5. We've been looking at, two weeks ago, we looked at this. It says, be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves and making music to the Lord with your hearts. Pastor Mike was preaching on this text two weeks ago, and this morning we've been doing just that, singing hymns, psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to the Lord. And give thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is all possible when we are filled with the Spirit, controlled by the Holy Spirit, surrendered to the Holy Spirit. And now we begin our text for today. And further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. There it is. Did you see it? The S word. What's the S word? Submit. How does that make you feel? Have you ever had someone come to you and say, submit? Is that a liberating word? It could be. We're going to look at it today. Let's pray. Almighty God, I pray that you would lead us into all truth. Jesus, you are the way, the truth, and the life. Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. My Lord, my rock, my redeemer, my Messiah, Savior, and King. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so here's the word submit. The Greek word, we're going to do a little Greek thing today. Hupotesos means to subordinate, to obey, to subdue unto, submit self unto. In other words, it means what you think it means. It means to submit. Now, submit is not popular in our culture today. Would you agree? I just want to make sure this is not just my imagination. It seems like submission is a hard thing in our culture. It was hardly popular 2,000 years ago in the midst of the Roman Empire when Paul was writing. And although racism and discrimination are very real today, we live in a nation that at least says on paper that all men and women are created equal. There was no such philosophy in Rome back in the day. Abuse was rampant. Women were slaves. In fact, going back much further in the Bible, the opening chapter of the Bible, we read this. God said, let us make human beings in our image. By the way, I love this, this, this verse and several like it because it identifies God as three in one, three persons. It's plural. Let us make human beings in our image, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Adam, which means man in Hebrew, and woman. And all was well until Adam and Eve sinned, something we call the fall. Hierarchy emerged after the fall when God said to Eve, you will desire to control your husband, but he will rule over you. Do you see the tension there? I mean, way back to Adam and Eve, we've had this tension between husband and wife. We've had this tension between human and human, this desire for control, this desire for ruling, this desire for hierarchy. Women have been striving to even the score. 
since this moment, and men and women have continued to clash. Regardless of the culture, the time, for thousands and thousands of years, we've experienced tension in relationships. Humans have been trying to get others to obey, to submit, because we love power and control, don't we? See, you won't even answer that one. Not me. The guy next to me, like, he's a power, power hunger. He's a control freak, but not me. I'm a good Christian person. Honestly, sin is so common, sometimes we don't even recognize when we're committing it. So Paul says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. In fact, I would just like you to repeat this with me because if you get nothing out of this morning, I want you to get this one phrase, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Let's say it one more time. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. All right, let's stand for closing prayer. No, we're not done just yet. But notice Paul didn't just say submit. He could have said submit, but he didn't stop there. He said submit, what? To one another. And he doesn't even stop there. He says out of reverence for Christ. So it's almost like there's three messages. There's this verb submit, and then it's to one another. He defines what it means. And then the purpose of the submission isn't just so that we get along, although that's certainly an added benefit, but the goal, the desire is out of reverence for Christ. The bottom line of our church's mission statement is the glory of God. And we're told that everything ultimately is about loving God and loving one another, loving our neighbor as ourselves. And so submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. We're going to see how this is related to marriage in a moment. But notice this isn't just for couples. This is related to all of us, brother and sister in Christ, that we submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. The Greek word for reverence, this kind of freaked me out, honestly, when I looked it up. It's phobos, P-H-O-B-O-S is how we would probably translate it into the English letters. Greek has different letters. Phobos. Can you think of any word that starts with phobe? Phobia, yeah. Phobia. So submit to one another out of phobia for Christ. I know you're like, wait, wait, that can't mean what that means. Phobia we think of is related to the word what? Fear. Throughout Scripture, the most common command is fear not. And there's a a subsidiary command that appears over and over in the Bible, and that is to fear God. I know for some of you, it's like, wait, aren't we supposed to love God? Why are we fearing God? The idea of fear, this phobos word, fear, there's two types of fear. There's the terrorizing fear that makes you want to pull away from someone or something, like some of you have fear of snakes or spiders or whatever. But then there's an, also a fear that is related to reverence, as New Living Translation, New Living Translation uh, translates this. This is like awe, reverence, like to fear the Grand Canyon, not, not just falling off the ledge. That would be, that would be scary. But that, that awe and wonder. Have you ever had a moment of just awe and wonder or you're, you're, it just takes your breath away? Maybe it was the Grand Canyon or, or the birth of a child or, or some great moment where you're just like, whoa. I was thinking more and more about this word phobos and fear, and I came to this conclusion, and feel free to, to check me on this. 
But I think that whatever you fear is your God. Whatever you fear is your God. Now, you may not worship it in terms of singing songs or bowing down like you think of maybe worship in, in, with idols and such. But whatever, whatever you fear, that is your God, which is why God says over and over again, fear me, fear only me. Make me your God. Make me the most important thing in your life because anything else that you fear more than God becomes your idol. And that's not a good thing to have. Submit to one another out of reverence, out of fear, out of awe and wonder, something that, that draws you toward Christ. To put it simply, what you fear is your God. Verse 22. For wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Now, let's, let's recognize the whole verse. It doesn't say wives submit to your husbands. It says wives submit to your husbands as to the Lord. I thought maybe I saw some women wince when they first saw those words. Submit to your husbands. Remember, out of reverence for Christ. Yield to each other out of love. It's not about hierarchy or power, but it's about bringing God glory in your relationship. One commentator says this, all it asks is that wives give up self-centeredness, take seriously their mutuality with their husbands, and promote the benefit of their husbands. In Paul's day, women weren't just inferior to men, they were considered impure. Now we don't even talk about purity in our culture, which <laughs> maybe is a problem. But, but women were second-class citizens, to say the least. For wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of his wife, as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of the body, the church. As the, Christ, as, as the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. Now, let's, let's be honest. We, I think all recognize that this passage, like many in Scripture, has been twisted. It's been abused. It's been taken out of context. It's been mis misunderstood. Specifically, men wanting to take these words and actually just a portion of these words and abuse their, their wives. The Bible says to submit. End of story. But that's not end of story. That's not end of verse. That's not at all the message. Ladies, this is, does not mean to be a doormat, tell her abuse of any kind, or engage in sinful behavior, which would certainly not be out of reverence for Christ. Listen to N.T. Wright on this text. He says, Paul assumes, as do most cultures, that there are significant differences between men and women, differences that go far beyond mere biological and reproductive function. Their relations and roles must therefore be mutually complementary rather than identical. Equality in voting rights and in employment opportunities and remuneration, which is still not a reality in many places, should not be taken to imply such identity. And within marriage, the guideline is clear. The husband is to take the lead, though he is to do so mindfully of the self-sacrificial model of which the Messiah has provided. As soon as taking the lead becomes bullying or arrogant, the whole thing collapses. Now, I fully realize that Paul is not politically correct, certainly for our day today. But is our culture better off today 
Is our model for men and women better than God's way, than God's plan? It seems as if our world is plagued by broken homes, broken marriages, broken relationships. And I just wonder if it has anything to do with the fact that we've pretty much ditched God's design for life, for humanity, for marriage, for relationships, and tried to do our own thing, finding ourselves in our own individualistic silos and wondering again why we're alone, isolated, and anxious. Now, certainly this is not an attack on those of you who are not in healthy marriages, far from it. But I just wonder if we would embrace our differences, celebrate them, and submit to one another out of reverence for Christ if we would be so much better off in our homes, in our marriages, in our relationships. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to their husbands in everything, the text says. And again, this does not have anything to do with abuse. This has nothing to do with power and control. This is about mutual submission. Submit yourselves to one another. For husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loves the church. He gave up his life for her. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Husbands, Jesus died for the church. Are you willing to die for your, life, for your wife? That's the call. That's the message. That's the vision. That's what Paul's saying is you have a responsibility to your wife to give up everything, to give even your own life, to serve her, to love her, to make sure she is protected and cared for, to, to make sure that she's experiencing joy and delight, to make sure that she lives in a, a peaceful environment where she can be all that God has created her to be. He's saying die like Jesus died for the church. Such dedication would never make selfish demands. It would never harm or abuse. Godly husbands, they love sacrificially making submission a joy. Husbands, Jesus is to be your role model. Not Hugh Hefner or LeBron James. Not even Nelson Mandela, Neil Armstrong or Bear Grylls. Now keep in mind, Jesus was not married, but the church is his bride, the king's wife. He gave us his life, his very own life. He, he gave it up for us by dying on the cross for us. And we are to give up our lives for our wives. Hey, that kind of rhymes. <laughs> Husbands, give up your lives for your wives. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church unto death unto death. A few years ago, I was talking to one of our senior, senior saints around here, and uh, knowing that, that he had been married for many, many years, even longer than, much longer than I had. And I, I know his passion for Jesus and for the Word of God, and, and, and I, I just said to him one day, I said, like, ah, uh, you believe that you're the, the, the husband is supposed to be the head of the wife, and the, the wife submit, and, and this whole thing, I said, just out of curiosity, how many times have you played the, the submit card on your wife? How many times have you said, it's my job to lead and I'm going to overrule you? And he thought for a minute, he said, zero. Submit yourselves to one another out of reverence for Christ. Paul elaborates. He says, for husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. 
He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without a spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. There's a a lot of language here about a bride. Back in the culture, a bride would spend a lot of time getting prepared for the wedding day. Okay, some things never change. But this idea that, that Jesus took us as broken, sinful creatures, and he gave up his life for us. He made us holy. He washed us in the blood, which is quite a paradox. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Hallelujah for the cross we sang today. What a, what a great song. What a great message that we can sing and praise Jesus because it's all about Jesus. And even in the context of marriage, Paul's saying Jesus is our example. Jesus is the focus, the work that Jesus did. It's a beautiful vision of what Jesus did for us. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one hates his own body, but feeds and cares for it just as Christ cares for the church. And we are members of his body. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. One of my favorite passages that I love to read at at weddings when I perform wedding ceremonies says this in Philippians. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be Be humble thinking of others as better than yourselves. Now, again, this does not mean be a doormat because we are to love others as we love ourselves. But it is to recognize that in relationships, we have an obligation, a responsibility, a joy to submit, to listen, to serve, to look out for the best interest of the other person. That's what love is. This isn't rocket science. Love God. Love others as you love yourself. You take care of your body, right? Most of you. You bathe, at least monthly. I know y'all eat. Every time we have a potluck around here, I see everybody eating. We, it's just natural that we take care of our bodies. In fact, our brains are wired up, so if there's danger, we go into fight or flight mode. If there are situations that make us uncomfortable, we usually assess them. And it's just, we are created to take care of ourselves. And if we don't, we're going to die. What Paul's saying is, husbands, you take care of yourself. You also need to take care of your wife. You need to recognize her value and love her as Christ loved the church. Of course, this need not be restricted to marriage. This verse applies to all of us, a beautiful vision of life together. Warren Warren Wearsby notes this. He says, when the Christian wife submits herself to Christ and lets him be the Lord of her life, she will have no difficulty submitting to her husband. This does not mean that she becomes a slave, for the husband is also to submit to Christ. And if both are living under the lordship of Christ, there can only be harmony. Headship is not dictatorship. Each for the other, both for the Lord. The Christian husband and wife should pray together and spend time in the word so that they may know God's will for their individual lives and for their home, for their marriage, for their family. Most of the marital conflicts I've dealt with as a pastor 
he says, have stemmed from a failure of the husband and or wife to submit to Christ, spend time in his word, and seek to do his will every day. As Paul is wrapping up this passage, he goes way back to Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, second chapter of the Bible. As the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. This is a great mystery, but it's an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. And there's two things going on simultaneously. Do you see it? A husband and wife are united into one, and this is true of Jesus and his bride, the church. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Family, I've seen extremes, two extremes. You've probably seen these as well. I've seen men rule over their wives, which is clearly not submission. I've also seen men afraid to exercise servant leadership so passive that they become doormats. We are to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. God's design for marriage is a man and a woman to complement one another, different but equal. We don't need to embrace societal stereotypes that say men have to do all the outdoor work and women do the inside work, unless that's what's agreed upon mutually. I think I've shared before that my wife and I, when we first got married, we decided that whoever cooks, the other cleans. So I do dishes 360 days a year and take her out five times. <laughs> I've heard some preachers say that the woman must stay home and the, the husband must make all the money and the, the woman must stay home with the kids. And if that works for you, great. I've seen some really great stay-at-home dads as well. And I know that may be controversial to some stereotypes, some cultural norms. But what I see here is submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Find out what works. If she takes out the trash and he cooks, if that works for you, figure out what works. But the goal is to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Whatever is mutually agreed upon. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So again, I say each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. It's worth noting that here that, that these words are a little different. The man is to love. The wife must respect Maybe some of you are, are, have heard of uh, this guy, Emer Emerson Eggeridge. I have to be honest, I haven't studied his material, but his whole thing is about love and respect and how men and women are different and they have different needs. And I think his whole focus goes down to verse 33 here. I believe the overarching point is men and women are different by design. A husband must love his wife as he loves himself and the, the wife must respect her husband. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. I'm sure this is how Adam and Eve behaved before the fall. I mean, we really don't have a whole lot of details about what their relationship was like. We don't even know how long their relationship was living in paradise without sin. I suppose someday we'll be able to watch the highlight reel and see all that. We need the Holy Spirit to make us like Jesus, all of us, to be filled with sacrificial love for one another so that we can submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. When we love or respect one another, it fuels the spouse 
to reciprocate. And tragically, what happens in a lot of marriages is we play this tit-for-tat game, and, and one person refuses to love or respect or submit, and so that means the other wants to follow up and do the same thing, and pretty soon things start to snowball out of control. Well, you don't, you don't love me, so I'm not going to love you. You didn't do this for me, so I'm not going to do it for you. And until someone decides to stop the cycle and submit and love the other person, there's no hope for the marriage. There's no hope for the relationship. Someone has to go first. Someone has to forgive. Someone has to say, I'm going to love whether you're worthy of love or not because I made a commitment. And it's amazing how once that cycle begins to stop and one partner says, enough is enough, I'm going to love, I'm going to forgive, it doesn't always mean trust, but I'm going to make the first move. Oftentimes that will jumpstart a relationship and things will start to get better and better and better. Years ago, I heard a, a gentleman uh, as a, a marriage conference, and he said, oftentimes when me and my, my wife were, were at odds with each other, we're, we don't like each other, we're just fight all the time. He said, sometimes when I least feel like doing it, I'll go and buy flowers for my wife. And he said, amazingly, sometimes it, just the simple making the first move, just spending a few dollars and buying some flowers and giving them to my wife, it, it sort of retrains my brain, retrains my focus, kind of go through the motions. When I used to like being with her, I would buy her flowers. And so he'd buy her flowers and, and she would be so surprised, like, I thought you are mad at me. Well, but I still love you. I don't like you right now, but I still love you, so here's some flowers. And, and by shifting that cycle, it would trigger something in her to think, wow, he actually thought of me, he actually loved me. Maybe I can take a stab at trying to show him some love. And the cycle starts to reverse itself. And now they're starting to serve one another and love one another and submit to one another. And things go really well. On several occasions, I've, ch I've challenged men that have come to me with marital problems. And I've said, just, just try this out. Just go buy her some flowers. It's no guarantee, gentlemen. And I have to tell you, it's kind of got me in trouble, actually. Because now anytime I buy flowers for Heather, she thinks I'm mad at her. And, and rarely am I. She's like, wait, are you mad at me? No, it's Valentine's Day, sweetheart. I love you. <laughs> By the way, yesterday was sweetest day. All right, so we're, we're landing the plane here. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Paul talks a lot in this, in this section about marriages, obviously, about husbands and wives. And I, wanted, I, I, I got a note this week that said that uh, we, have, I, we have a lot of great marriages in this church family. And by the way, younger, younger people, young people, just listen to me, young people. I know some of you like to just hang out with young people, and we all like to be like people like us. That's cool. That's great. But you can learn a lot from some of our senior saints, especially those of you that are newly married or young married people. 
hang out with some more mature <laughs> married people because there's great wisdom. There's great wisdom in this room. And I may get in trouble for, for doing this, but I, I was told that uh, Don and Rosalie Zell just celebrated 65 years of marriage. And right over here. So we don't announce every anniversary, but if, if, you guys, if, if you're turning 65 years, let me know, and I'll highlight you as well. Um, 65, like that's just, that's incredible. So congratulations, you guys. Um, what, a, what a terrific example. There's more to this text, though, than just marriage. And I know many of you were married. Maybe you lost your spouse to death or to divorce, and you're like, well, what does this have to do with me? Some of you have never been married and you're single. By the way, Jesus was single. Paul said it's better to not marry. <laughs> so I, I've, I've talked to a number of singles over the years that have, have told me, I just feel like a second-class citizen at church because everything's all about marriage and family, marriage and family, and here I am single. Maybe I want to be married, maybe I don't want to be married, but, but what's my role as a single person? Uh, your role as a single person is to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Your role as a single person is to recognize that God's given you time and energy and opportunities to serve and love other people. I, I've heard the metaphor that Jesus becomes your husband of sorts. I want to celebrate single people today and single people in our church and say, we need you, we love you, you matter, you belong to our family, you are not a second-class citizen. Marriage is really hard work. I think sometimes people dream and fantasize about marriage until they get married, and then they dream and fantasize about the days when they, hopefully that's not the case. But submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Here's a good passage. Maybe some of you have heard this before. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own ways. It is not irritable, and it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. As the music team comes up, we're going to do a closing song. But I just want to say again, as, as I started, that we live in this individual society where it's all about me. I don't need anybody else. It's just me against the world. Well, me and my cell phone. That's all I need, just me and my cell phone. And yet, we've, we find that troubling. People are so lonely. Family, we have an opportunity to to create an alternative reality for people, to live an alternative lifestyle of community, of relationships, of family. Thinking again of the Amish, church, family, individuals, that I set aside my rights to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. What a vision, what a picture. We don't all get along. We don't always agree on everything. And that's okay. We can still love one another. We can respect one another. We can listen to one another. How about this, family? 
When you disagree with someone, instead of just canceling them and saying, you're an idiot, you're a moron, I hate you, I never want to talk to you, I'm going to take you off Facebook or whatever, what if we just said, that's a really fascinating opinion. Can you help me understand why you feel that way? I've done this. I've talked to people, maybe they vote differently, and I'll say, you know what? Um, I'm just curious, like, why did you vote that way? Or I'll, I'll talk to people that have a, a different view on maybe something in theology, something in scripture that's a, a hotly debated thing. Like, I want to listen to you. Help me understand your viewpoint. Because I may change, or maybe I'll get you to change. But this is submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. I may just say someone to say to someone, help me understand why you wore that outfit. No, I, we, we don't really get into that so much. But this is what love is, family. And I'm telling you, out there, you don't find this. You simply don't find this. In fact, tragically, in most churches these days, it seems like people are canceling each other and, and just arguing with people and, and disrespecting one another. The whole message of this text is submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And next week, we're going to continue to see how this is played out with parents and children, and then even with slaves and masters, though it's not exactly Civil War era slavery that they're talking about. But what is a relationship like? How do we submit to one another? Even in the marketplace, boss, subordinate, how do we submit to one another out of reverence for Christ? Children, parents, how do we submit to another out of reverence for Christ? The bottom line in all this, of course, is Jesus. He set the example for us to follow. His love is perfect. His love submitted while we were yet sinners. He died for us. He proved his love for us. So we're going to sing a song to close today that just reminds us of Jesus, who he is, what he did for us, the ultimate example of what it truly means to be human.